What's up, everyone? Welcome back for our last module on learning identity with me and Jay Pirde. My name is Christos Matskas. I work as a senior program manager for Microsoft Identity, and today with me I have again a very good friend, JP. JP, how are you? Not too bad. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All good. Uh, yeah. I think I think you're still recovering from the 15-hour drive from yesterday. So uh, kudos <laughs> to you for being able to. Uh, Turn up here, but uh, thanks for coming. And uh, today we're going to be actually covering the last module of the five modules that we've been talking about uh, around identity, right? So what's the subject today, JP? Well, it's funny. We've spent four uh, episodes talking about authentication, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we've talked about how to sign a user in and what, how do you give access to other things and how do you integrate that into a web app or a single, single page app and what's a tenant and all these sorts of th sorts of things. But today we're actually going to talk about authorization. It'll be the first time <laughs> really yes. talk about authorization uh, throughout our five modules. So today we're going to be taking a look at things like app roles, uh, groups, which I'm a little like a little hesitant. I don't want to <laughs> jump too far into groups. I don't want anybody getting excited that we're going to say, Oh, we should use groups for everything. Cause nobody's to say that, yeah. but, Yep. We're going to talk about groups, we're going to talk about roles, we're going to talk about app roles and how to see those in your code and how to make authorization decisions based on them. So I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a pretty cool day. Awesome. Yeah. So this is the fifth and last one of, uh, of our Learn Live series. Be sure that, uh, be sure to go join us uh, at Learn Live. Uh, and also mm -hmm. this is the link up here, this uh, Learn Identity Users and Groups uh, this is a link to the modules. This is part of us. This is the fifth and last part of a five-part series, uh, which is a Microsoft Learning uh, Learning Path. And this module is uh, the fifth of the last one. And when you finish this, you'll get a um, uh, you'll get like a little like a badge, uh, yeah. the sort of a certificate of completion, I guess, that says that you have gone through the uh, implement Microsoft Identity Learning Path, uh, which is pretty cool, and you get XPs and all sorts of other fun stuff. So. Um, so yeah, so this is so this is the link that you can follow. Uh, go to this link. Uh, be sure to catch up on the other four episodes of this, where we go through all five of these modules and the learning path. Um, yep. And by the end, uh, you will have gone through all it takes to sort of get up and running uh, with Microsoft Identity. So, uh, what are we going to dig into? Uh, what are we going to dig into here today, Christos? Well, before we dive into that, uh, let's let Fuel Snubble know that we are live. So if you're watching us right now, we're actually live. Yes. So uh, this is right. Do you need to do you need to hold a newspaper with today's date, maybe? <laughs> what's a new What's a newspaper? What is that? I couldn't find one if I wanted to, right? <laughs> anyway, today we're going to be uh, looking at .NET codes. Um, in previous uh, modules, we've done a little bit of JavaScript, we've done a little bit of uh, .NET, but today we're actually focusing on .NET. But everything we do applies to everything that MSL. Uh, support. So if you're working with Python, if you're working with Java, if you're working with .NET, everything that we're showing you applies to all these platforms and languages. The syntax may be slightly different. Anyway, today we're actually looking at ASNet web applications, and we'll start with a basic uh, ASNet web app. In fact, it's an MVC application, not even an Azure page app that uh, authenticates users. And then we will add some security groups into that to uh, show you how uh, to um, add security-based authorization, and then why you shouldn't be doing that, and then JP will take it back <laughs> and show you how to do it properly going forward, role-based uh, authorization, which is what we want you to start using uh, 
because of all the niceties that come with role-based access. Remember, by the way, it is live. And uh, yes, uh, please let us know where you're joining us from, what you're doing, uh, how far you're in identity. And I think today's session may be quite fast enough, so we'll open the floor at the end for some questions if we have enough time. But uh, by the way, VS Code is awesome. We're using it all the time. Me and JP uh, have it as our default editor. So we believe you. It is the best ID. Let us know of your thoughts. <laughs> and uh, let's kick it off. JP, back to you. Cool, thanks. And uh, you make a you make a really good point, which is, well, besides the fact that VS Code is awesome, like I don't even I haven't even installed Visual Studio on my machine in a while. But uh, one of the things that's interesting about this one, and the reason this is in .NET, I think it's probably for the sake of simplicity. We're going to write in a very, very, very little .NET code today. Uh, we are going to be doing a lot more configuration Azure AD side. And in some ways, it's kind of a difference from the the last few episodes, because the last few episodes have all been focused on how do we integrate this into the code, and there's been some configuration like app registrations and the like, but the bulk of what we're going to be doing today is in the uh, in the browser or in the CLI for Azure AD or in Graph or whatever, um, uh, because most of this is configuration stuff, and most of this happens at the Azure AD side as opposed to happening in your application. So we can do sort of full uh, role-based access control and not even have to write code around that specifically because we can slam the front door uh, before a user ever actually uh, gets to your application. So, yep. um, but yeah, so for anyone who's not familiar with RBAC, uh, you'll hear the term RBAC thrown around a lot. It stands for role-based access control. It means that instead of us saying explicitly, Christos can access this part of the app, uh, maybe we say Christos is a product catalog manager, and so Christos has access to uh, modify the product catalog. It's oddly specific. And that's, I like it. Product catalog. It, it, is, it is oddly <laughs> specific, but that's because the code samples all around product catalogs. And so I thought, well, I'm thinking, like, what is this part? What is this code sample about? Not even but, an admin, just a product catalog. A product catalog manager. It's a very specific role. It's a new role for FY22. Promotion. Um, <laughs> but the thing about a role is, is that a role is completely independent of a scope. So last uh, last week, week before, we talked about scopes and permissions of what applications can do with user data in the apps. Your role is independent. So your role is always going to be returned regardless of what kind of client you're, you're coming from. So whether or not you are an admin or a product catalog manager or whatever, that matters um, in the context of the um, of the user themselves, and that's going to happen if they access from a mobile client, a console client, a, uh, a web client, you know, whatever that's going to be. Your role is always going to travel along with you, and that's what makes them pretty different in terms of what they can and can't do from uh, from scopes. Mm -hmm. So, Azure AD itself has this thing called app roles built in. App roles are a way for us to define uh, app roles, really. I mean, I don't want to use the name of the definition, but it's a way for us to define what roles do we want in our application. And by defining these roles, not only can we get them returned, but we also unlock a bunch of management stuff that admins can go in and say, hey, user ABC should be a member of role 123 for this app. Uh, we can also assign groups into those roles. So instead of using the group directly, we may want to use a group assigned into a role, which gives us uh, a little bit more of a separation. And we're going to look at why using groups is such a bad idea uh, a little bit later on. But there are lots of old apps that have used that 
have used groups for a very long time. So um, uh, we want to we want to keep that around. Um, so, you know, RBAC is a pretty common way that people that, that developers manage access like Azure uses RBAC and there's a whole suite of things called Azure RBAC for accessing things like your Azure resources. Um, and what we want to do is give you the ability to do something kind of like that without having to store role databases yourself. So like historically, you may have had to have ASP.NET membership if you're using ASP.NET. Um, and that membership database would keep a, um, that membership database would keep a list of the roles and who is in those roles. And, and that's still super valid. In fact, we have lots of customers who use coarsely grained roles in Azure AD, and they might use more finely grained roles in the applications themselves. The advantage to using this in a centralized place like in Azure AD is that uh, those roles travel with that user, however they come into that application. And so if you have other apps later on that you want to add, or maybe other clients, um, centralizing that role data means that I can debug it, I can debug it easier, I can figure out what you have access to much easier than, well, I've got stage one authorization happening in Azure AD and stage two happening down here in the application itself. Um, so like we said, we're going to spend the bulk of our day today in the portal. Um, we're going to skip through some of these. In fact, we may just go ahead and jump over to the portal first because nice. uh, these are... Um, because yeah, this is fairly uh, this is fairly specific. So let's just go uh, let's just go take a trip over into the uh, into the Azure AD portal, which we've got up right here. Uh, so in our portal, of course, we've got this concept of users, right? And in our users, we've got a list of users, list of people, but we can also invite people. So if I wanted to invite someone from say an external directory, I could do that. If I wanted to invite Christos, which I have, if I invite him, he shows up as a guest. So we've got him right here on this line, where he uses his credentials on his own to sign in. And he has a kind of a funky uh, user principal name specifically because he is coming from somewhere else, uh, from an external thing, but he manages his password, he manages his MFA, he does all that work himself. I don't have to deal with him. We can also invite, uh, beyond invited guests, of course, we could always create a new user for him. So here is his user profile in my directory. I was running out of tools. Um, <laughs> I didn't know the best tool, so I thought, well. Um, are so are this you calling me a tool? I love it. No, not at all. Well, <laughs> a very useful, as we both are. Because everything looks like a nail to me. I am a hammer. Right. Um, so this account is an account within my organization. I own the account, and so if Christos needs to reset his password, he's got to call me or call an admin, right? He can't do that on his own. I have to own the lifecycle of this account, and it's kind of a pain. It's not necessarily something we would want to do, but there are lots of old applications that still do it that way. Uh, the advantage, of course, is that we can take a user who is a guest. So this is a user who we've invited in. So unlike this account, but Christos's guest account, we can take his guest account, and we can also assign his guest account into groups and into roles, yes. which makes it super useful for me as an admin because to me as the, the RBAC admin or someone who's going to be managing who has access to my app, uh, I treat him the same way that I would treat an internal user or another corporate user uh, who I, who should or should not have access to these specific apps. Hey, JP, so can, we can you uh, do a one Zoom or maybe two plus Zoom on this one? My old eyes can't see it. Yeah, sorry. Awesome. So we've got you in here, and in fact, you even see that you're a member of one group. So you're a member of the all users group, right? Now, this is a dynamic 
this is, <laughs> this is called a dynamic group. Uh, dynamic groups in Office 365 and, and in Azure AD, dynamic groups are groups that are based on a role. So group membership isn't direct. Group membership is based on a role. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there are lots and lots of other groups. So we could define groups however we want. So I'll go look at take a look at the group list that I have. And here are a bunch of groups. Nothing too exciting about them. Security groups, not security groups, like distribution lists, dynamic groups, things like all autopilot devices. So of course, devices can be users, members of these groups too. And then I do have a bunch of extra groups in here specifically to show something a little bit later on today. So you'll notice we've got a bunch of groups that start with and have names like test group 100. <laughs> um, those names and those names and numbers go up quite significantly well beyond test group 200. And we're going to take a look at some of the drawbacks to using groups uh, a little bit later on. We start using groups for authorization. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing we got to do, uh, like anything, is uh, we've got to get us an app, right? Yep. So yeah, everything starts with an app. Yep. So I've got it. So I created a .NET app earlier. So let's go ahead and get that .NET app up and up and we'll take a look at it. And of course, we have to register this app, which we're going to do here in a moment. So we've got our app. Uh, it's just got some basics. It's got a home controller that says some stuff like, hey, um, it is just a basic authenticated app. This is the same thing you're going to get if you do .NET new MVC uh, dash dash AUTH single org. Really nothing too, uh, too exciting about this app uh, just yet. And of course, we've got this up in a repo so you can go in, uh, so you can go clone it and download it and take a look. Um, there's really nothing here outside of what you would get. Uh, just from running that, uh, just from running that uh, that template, you notice we have nothing changed here. Uh, we have add Microsoft Identity Web App, which is just our way of uh, getting connected up to Azure AD. This is the fifth episode where we've talked, where we've done this. Um, and so this is what you're going to get out of the template, and this is what you should have uh, after you've created your template, or after you've created a new app from template. You've actually have not written any code uh, just yet. So like normal, the first thing we have to do. Uh, we need to go to Azure AD. We need to go register an application. Let's do that. <laughs> so we're in our app. And uh, I'm in my directory. So this is the Azure AD administrative portal, aed.portal.azure.com. Uh, and let's go add a new app registration. If you don't have this experience, because this is a relatively newer one, you can always click your menu and go to app registrations. Now, I already created a registration earlier, so we'll just go take a look at the one that we've got. And we're going to call this Learn Live. And this one is our RBAC. Did I name it RBAC? I did. Good. Um, you can close all of these extra headers if you'd like to see them every time you come in. So we'll go here. We've got a client ID. So let's grab our client ID or application ID. Nothing too, uh, nothing too squirrely just yet. We've got our tenant ID. We'll add this in here. We've got our domain name. By the time by the time all of you are done, you will be pros at copying and pasting your app registration details. <laughs> Seeing as I don't actually know if JSON comments work, I'm going to delete the JSON comment. <laughs> Just because I'm not entirely sure that it would actually work with JSON comments, but those come in the template, so you may want to make sure you delete those. For some um, reason, it works even when it oh, shouldn't. It compiles. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Whatever works. Uh, so let's go to the authentication blade and take a look at our app. Now, of course, we've added one web redirect URI. So not this isn't a single page app or 
uh, or a console app or anything. It's just a regular web app. So we've added a web redirect URI with a uh, with an address of localhost 5001 signed in OIDC, um, which is the normal standard um, return path for ASP.NET Core applications. Or so that's the question, Christos. Yeah. If it's not if it's not not .NET Core with five and up. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's just .NET. Yes. Does that mean it's also just ASP.NET again? Uh, ASP because ASP.NET five has a very distinct meaning. <laughs> yes, yes. I remember those days. <laughs> ASP.NET Core on .NET five. Maybe that'll be the name. Oh no, know. that that's. I think it's just ASP.NET now. It's like a PowerShell, right? No, remember how they went from PowerShell Core to PowerShell again because everything yeah. above six is now core or fully compatible? I think that's the case. True. Yeah. Anyway, this is a .NET 5 ASP.NET app. There you go. So if that's called ASP.NET or ASP.NET Core, I sadly oh, am not. Ro- Rob sorry. says it's still ASP.NET Core on okay, ASP.NET so... 5 or 6. That's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so you can probably learn a lot more about that at learn.dot.dot.net. So yes. brought to you, brought to you by the same folks. So uh, at any rate, we have an ASP.NET Core web app, MVC web app, running on .NET five, mm-hmm. and the sign in dash OADC. That's pretty. You're going to see that from like .NET Core two one and up uh, in ASP.NET. So. Uh, and whatever you end up with in your callback path, you can actually change that. It will change, of course, in your application. You don't write the code to make that endpoint work. Just make sure that it matches whatever you've got over here in Azure AD for your yep. uh, uh, for your reply URL. Um, so we've got our we've got our web app. We've got our configuration settings in. Um, the one thing we have to do still today is we have to enable what's called the hybrid flow, which is where we get an ID token via. Uh, we get an ID token via what's called the implicit flow, where that comes back in the response, but we will not get access tokens because we're not calling APIs today anyway. So we're going to save this, um, which we already have. We've got our values over here in here. Uh, so let's go run. I guess we'll go run our web app and see if it works, right? Let's see. So let's do, uh, let's do a, well, first let's make sure it builds. It's probably, probably the first good thing for us to do. Uh, and then we will do a .NET run. I'm going to make sure I have my browser up so it doesn't pop a browser window somewhere I would not like for it to open. So, HTTPS, localhost 5001. And here we are. I'm signed in. Good. Nice. So I'm already busy. signed in, which is fantastic. So this is what your app should look like by the end. Um, uh, and... Uh, and that's it. So the first step, the first challenge here is literally just stand up, uh, just stand up a web app. And then Christos is going to go take a look at the first step, which is how do we do uh, how do we do groups? But first, let's jump into knowledge check, knowledge check. And uh, let's see how many double negatives we have. Negative square, is it? <laughs> <laughs> let's jump into our first knowledge check. So. Oh, before um, before before we jump into the that, oh, there is a question right, right. on the teleprompter by Andre, who's okay. asking if there are any tutorial or resources about identity on database first applications, which means that you probably have a SQL somewhere and to access it securely. If that's the database that you're looking at, or maybe Cosmos, then 
Uh, we do have a Cosmos blog on the 45 show, 45 show, uh, dev.to 45 show, or you can look at uh, the code magazine where Julie Lerman wrote, wrote a fantastic article on how to secure your anti framework or your SQL client against uh, your database without using any secrets and using mass identities to secure that end-to-end. So not only just authentication, but also securely, securely accessing your resources. We will provide links at the end of that, but sorry, let's go back into the, the knowledge check. So there was one thing from the knowledge check, which actually I forgot to mention uh, our first trip through here. We were going to get get around to it as we dug into yours, but I forgot to mention it ourselves. So um, we mm-hmm. registered our app called Learn Live, uh, Learn Live RBAC, right? And we mm-hmm. mentioned that you could restrict access to that uh, all yes. through Azure AD. Now, yep. you're going to take a look at how we get those groups and code, but there's another way to do it. Uh, directly within Azure AD. Mm-hmm. So uh, from the Azure AD portal, we'll take a look at the enterprise apps. Now, this is a little bit weird because you have to jump between two different areas. You have app registrations, which is where we register our apps, and then there are enterprise applications. And enterprise applications include all of the apps that you register, but they also include apps like uh, third-party stuff that you might buy, right? Something like uh, Dropbox or Box.net or AWS or whatever. Um those show up as enterprise apps in addition to the other ones because you wouldn't really register an app to say you wouldn't register the AWS console as an app that you wanted to get to. Uh-huh. Uh, instead, you use it as an enterprise application. Uh, so because it's an enterprise app, I'm just going to do all apps here and we're going to pull up Learn Live RBAC here. And this will be the same for any application that's registered or any application that's been added by you or an administrator. Now, the key is, you'll notice, the first thing we have is we can assign users and groups, right? Mm-hmm. So by default, any user can sign in to an application. Now, your in the, application... In your organization, right? So if right. if I'm part of Microsoft and you create a Microsoft app or it's there on the Microsoft tenant, anybody can sign in. Correct. So anybody can sign in from the perspective of Azure AD. Azure AD mm-hmm. is not going to block the issuance of a token by default. So any application that gets registered... Anybody can get a token for. Now, whether or not your app accepts that token is is a completely different story. Uh, But in the case of our default app here, Mm -hmm. where our our policy is require authenticated user, that means anybody who can authenticate, meaning anybody who can get a token, can get into this application, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So in our enterprise applications, this is where we get more control over how how we want users to interact with and access our app. So let's first take a look at assign users and groups. So by Mm -hmm. assigning users and groups, uh, this is where we're going to say, oh, we can pick a user and we can go and assign them a specific thing. So let's say I want to I want to take Christos, but I don't have any roles that I can assign him yet because I haven't defined any. All I can Mm -hmm. do is assign him default access. So I'm going to assign him default access. However, Uh, If we wanted to say you are not allowed to access an app at all unless you are in one of those groups, that's what we have under the properties window here. So under Mm -hmm. properties for one of our apps, we've got things like enabled. So you can just totally shut off an app entirely if you wanted. But there's this one here, user assignment required. User assignment required is the key to making that happen. So as soon as we say yes, user assignment required, now Azure AD is going to block any user who uh, who is not assigned a specific role. Now, that could be a specific role that you've defined. It could also be a role that comes by default, which is the default access that we just assigned to Christos. Mm-hmm. 
But it uh, without this, when this is set to yes, if a user tries to sign in, it'll say, sorry, the user is not a member of this role or not a member of any roles for this application, and thus they can't get in. So your app doesn't even know. Azure AD closes the door before that ever happens, right? Um, So this user assignment required checkbox, and it's a little bit of a misnomer too, because it also includes service principles. So even though it says user assignment required, you can also shut the door on user principle or on service principles as well uh, for things like app to app, service Mm -hmm. to service type communication. Excuse me. So that's uh, quite appropriate for our first knowledge check question. (laughs) You gave it away, but it's fine. It's fine. I mean, you know, so that's uh, so uh, how would you restrict your app to only allow specific users to sign in and use it with Microsoft Identity? What do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) based on what we just discussed, it's uh, it's not B or C. That's true. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be the setting that we just uh, that we literally just finished talking about, which is usually yes. time to require. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess we kind of we kind of screwed that knowledge. Kind of gave that away, but it's fine. It's about instilling the the story and why you should be doing that because you had a very good story from uh, some time in the past where vendors were able to access somebody's HR data because that HR <laughs> application was not restricting access to specific roles or groups. That's right. Therefore, people that were not part of that org were able to access very sensitive information because, as you said before, not having checked that user assigned requirement um, property meant that anyone that could get a token could actually uh, go through the front door. And that's something very important when you're looking into securing your applications. There are layers of how you interact with identity, and that is one of them as well. Yeah, I mean, you think, you know, I've invited you to work with me on a file in SharePoint or something. Well, mm-hmm. now suddenly you're a guest in my directory, right? So yes. by you accepting that invitation to come work with me on something, you're a guest. Uh, so that means that if you've got some completely unrelated random corporate app, and the only thing that's, that's restricting access is are you authenticated or not? Well, you can absolutely authenticate, right? Um, yep. And so you, there's a, a bit of a risk of sort of data leakage there. Uh, yes. if, especially like in our, in our domain here at work, you know, there's so many people that get invited and, you know, hundreds of thousands of user accounts that, um, you know, and ad or, uh, authorized users only or authenticated users, users only still means like so many, so many people that, uh, you need to be a little bit more explicit in how, and how that gets yep. set. Very important. Yep. Okay. Question number two, Question number what two. elements are required to create configure or collect when registering an Azure AD app for use with an ASP.NET Core web app? This is going to trigger you, but it's fine. Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) So is it the tenant ID, Uh app ID, app secret, and the redirect URI? Or? Or the app ID secret and the redirect URI, so no tenant Mm -hmm. ID and tenant ID. Or Mm -hmm. is it the tenant ID, the app ID, and the app secret? We need some game show. <laughs> that will get us banned from being able to do a video on demand or YouTube could. Uh, oh, you, know, you mean our custom one? Like create a custom? Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. We'll give you 30 yeah. seconds. And the music plays. Yeah, I get it. But um, So it's, it's interesting about this question. Yes. As it mentions the application secret. Yes. Now, what did we not do when we were just setting up our app? 
we did not register an application secret. It's true. So it is kind of funny that that's mentioned here. Um, application secret, when you're using the hybrid flow, as ASP.NET is today, that's not deep, always going to be breath, like that. Deep breath, yep. As that is using the hybrid flow today, and we're not getting any access tokens, mm. we don't technically need a secret because the access or the ID token, the, which is the thing that carries our groups and roles anyway, the ID token is going to come over in the response mm. with the code. If we were to request to have requested an access token, we're going to get an authorization code. If we wanted to redeem that authorization code, we would need a secret. But since we're not getting any access tokens to go downstream and call another API, Yep. We kind of don't need uh, we kind of don't need a secret because even if we had one, we'd never use it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, so, it's not going to work on this one because every single answer has an application secret. So that's out of the question. You can't use that to eliminate their own answers. Right. So there's something else missing that you need to be aware of. And hopefully some people will get it. What do you think, so JP? There you go. So it's A. Definitely it is A. a. You need all of them. Yes. So you're well, need te all. technically, you don't need all of them. You just need the three of them without the application secret, but since that's well, not an option, that's true. <laughs> and that's not an option, so we don't give you the option to decide. Okay, let me share my screen, and then we can um, we can actually talk about uh, groups. I'm going to try not to twitch as you're talking about uh, security groups. <laughs> groups, groups, groups. Okay, so. Uh, security groups have been with us for a very long time. Uh, it's it's probably one of these legacy things that has been carried over from uh, Active Directory. And back in the day when you had large directories, people, and still today, uh, were and are assigned to either security groups or distribution groups to allow you to allow admins to manage access and what have you. So Azure Active Directory has taken that on and allows you to actually use security groups to manage access, to do authorization within your application. So your resources uh, will be part of an Azure Active Directory. And then as you saw, JP earlier uh, showed us how you could assign users to specific groups. He's got way too many groups in his uh, directory, but that's for good reasons you'll see in a bit. And uh, you know that was one of the options and it's still today. So in fact, uh, our Java Emsel, for example, requires you to have a group assignment by default. Otherwise, it will not sign you in, which is weird. <laughs> but yeah, That's uh, weird. the Spring Boot framework uh, requires you when you use Spring Boot to have a, a group assignment, which is ah. extremely weird because it, it's required by the template. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So um, there's not much to talk about uh, for security groups, but me and JP have really uh, worked with people that have used security groups in the past and they do come with certain luggage or baggage or whatever you want to call it that cause issues as you start working with them. Are you giving that? Am I giving something away from your next segment or do we want to discuss mm -hmm. that now? No, 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 no. I mean, groups have been around doing... for 9,000 years. Yeah. So 9, yes, as, a, as since time immemorial, because the earth is only 6,000 years old. Somebody told me that on the internet once. Um, the it, groups have been used forever, mm -hmm. and if you're, especially if you're migrating an app from, say, an on-prem AD environment, like an like a regular Active Directory environment, yep, uh, you were probably using groups for certain, you know, for app level, you know, user dot is enroll or authorize roles, those sorts of things. So groups are 
absolutely a valid thing. Yes. Um, it's just that they start to get they start to get a bit unwieldy cloud size, yes. especially especially for larger orgs like Microsoft, for example, or if you work at Amazon, then you got thousands about thousands of groups that you belong to because there's this kind of a um, hierarchy that you once you get assigned to a group, then that's part of the bigger group, and then. What happens is when you use Azure Active Directory to say, I want you to emit my groups as part of the token, then you're going to hit some hard limits. In fact, there's a 150 group limit for SAML tokens and 200 uh, uh, groups to the JWT token. And once you hit that limit, then all you get back is a continuation URL that, or, or a, a URL that points to graph where you have to go as a developer and pull that information. And in fact, even before you do that, um, because the way that groups have propagated into Azure Active Directory, you don't even get the group name. So when you work with groups in your code, you end up working with GUIDs, which is extremely <laughs> awful, doesn't scale well. You have no idea what the, the GUID maps to unless you create some kind of a mapping in your code or you do a graph call or you write some custom code to go and call them and then assign them to some policy. Therefore, you can see that it becomes very, very complex, whereas up until this point, and as JP will show you later on, roles because of the way that they have been implemented are more modern, require a lot less code, they're a lot less involved, and they're easier to work with in your code. Now, in saying that, let's go and see how you can implement group authorization, and then hopefully you won't use it because you'll see that it's quite complex. <laughs> so uh, there are a few changes that we need to do in the app registration. So let's jump very quickly to my, um, my Azure Active Directory. And then I have already configured my application, which is here. And then one of the things that we have to do is go into the manifest straight away. You can see that it's not a straightforward operation. And in here, we want to configure the group membership claims. So we want to tell the application that when it sends us a token, it needs to include security groups. And there are a few options that you can add here as well. And then in the optional claims in the ID token, we want to send them and emit them as roles. Um, and this is the configuration. If you follow through the documentation and the, the module, you'll see that these are the changes that you have to do yourself as well. You also need to go and assign your user to a group so that user can get those uh, uh, claims into the token. And then we have to jump into the code so we can do some changes. First and foremost, the startup doesn't change. We are not changing anything here. Uh, we're still requesting the user to sign in and we're still requesting for any, everybody to be signed in. But where it changes is in the navigation. Uh, we have a layout with the common navigation. So straight away, there is a, an if statement here that says, hey, if the user is in role, now it looks like a role, but in reality, it's a group good. And we don't even know what a group good uh, means, but it is the <coughs> product group manager, as we said earlier on. So a custom good belongs to that role. And then in our code as well, we have a, a custom products controller, which you'll be building as well. And in here, you'll notice that we have an authorized tag at the very top, line six. And then we say, we only want to allow people that are belong to that role, which is technically not a role, it's still the group. And as you can see, it doesn't work particularly well. So I have no idea who that role is <laughs> or what that role is in my code. But you don't, you don't memorize GUIDs? What, what are you talking about? Only the I'm ones that are important to me, like my... <laughs> Yeah. You didn't name your children oh. Gwids? 
I didn't make my children good. So as I said, there's a way around it. You could create some kind of a custom authorization policy that maps goods to uh, a role or does a graph call to get the group name, and then you can use it in your code. But again, too much work. Now, if we were to run this uh, code, I'm going to do that now. Uh, .NET run, and we navigate to our application. Just thinking about it, okay. So here, the first thing that we see is the uh, my homepage, which has been updated based on the module to show the the claims from the token. And we have a couple of uh, extra ones here, like Hamas uh, roles. But remember that BF75 is one of the roles that we wanted for our authorization. And then when I go to products, it checks to make sure. In fact, that products lights up because I am part of that group. And then when we go to products, it allows me to navigate and look at the content because I am part of that group. Uh, but there are limitations. It's not nice to work with. There are hard limits. And therefore, we don't want you to use uh, groups. Um, if, you, if you cannot avoid it, then you have to, obviously. But if you can, then um, you can move away from groups. And in fact, there's a, the option to assign groups to roles. So instead of uh, hard coding your application to work around groups, you can now use roles for that. And JP will show you how easy it is to do that. So without further ado, we can go back into our deck and take the the questions and see what uh, how much attention you've been paying. I wonder if there's a one that says do not use groups. <laughs> <laughs> ZZ underscore underscore do not use. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a question by the way. Is it oh like, yeah by Lobo? Is it a good approach to use JWKS with signing token? And provide an endpoint for public key to share with other others boundaries. Um. So, oh, OpenID Connect is built on JWKs, like mm -hmm. JSON Web Keys. Um, if you do not publish JWKs, then your Clients will not be able to uniquely or will not be able to verify which key was used and the key, the public key that was used to sign a token. Um, so it makes the amount of code that has to be written a lot more because now you've got to store some JWK metadata somewhere in your app for your provider, load that JWK data, rotate it when it gets old. So what most of the big providers do is, I guess, most. Uh, OpenID Connect providers is they publish the JWK metadata at the well-known endpoint. So that's yeah. .wellknown forward slash OpenID configuration. Your JWKs will be in there. Uh, well, URL to the JWK file will be in there, which then uh, following that URL will go and publish the, will go fetch the published public keys. So I would say there's there's not really a security implication to publishing your JWKs because you kind of need to publish your public keys so that people so that any client can independently verify yeah. uh, the signature of a token. Um, the fact that we publish them through the internet makes them easier at scale, makes them easier mm -hmm. for your clients to do that because otherwise, if you don't use the internet, you will be on the hook for distributing, rotating, and managing the that key data. Yeah. Um, 
course, your private keys stay private, like your, your signing keys, the keys that actually do the signing, of course, those stay private. Um, we rotate our keys once a day. So um, the thought of having to write extra code or build extra code to distribute that configuration with all the JWK data in it uh, to all of our clients on an ongoing basis. Um, since the data isn't sensitive, it's mostly config data. It's uh, That would be a lot of extra work to achieve what the internet can already do for you uh -huh. today. So I hope that answers your question, Lobo. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine okay. having to manually distribute and manage your uh, public keys to users? That would be fun. Okay, now let's play play together, right? Go to okay. AK.LMS, learn live TV, and let's go through the first question, which is, how can users be added to security groups? Users can be manually added to a group using the Azure AD admin center by group owners. Users can search and apply to join groups. Group owners can review and approve requests to join group. Users can search and join groups automatically if the groups are configured correctly. And all of these options are valid ways to add users to groups. Hmm. What do you think, JP? Well, I guess we didn't really talk about it too much. We can definitely manually add groups, right? Which, or manually yeah. add users to groups. That's no sweat. Which you did, uh, yeah. Searching for and applying to join groups, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then automatic join if configured, like, I didn't know that was already out, so that's cool if that's available now too. Sort of like, sort of like the older on-premises uh, on solutions for managing groups and stuff in, in regular AD. Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty cool too. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say D, and I hope I'm not wrong. <sighs> Oh man! Am I wrong? Period has passed, right? Your review period has passed. <laughs> oh no! I think I think this is wrong. I think this is wrong because oh, no. all of the above are correct. At least in our org, we can do all of the above, right? Yeah. Yes, that's what I thought. Like I, I knew that C was possible. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know it was already available. So I guess see, I was wrong again. This is the second or third time <laughs> I've been wrong in one of these knowledge checks. Not on your game, man. I don't know. You would think that having the answers, I should check them beforehand, <laughs> but maybe I'm just not terribly bright. Hey, no judgment, no judgment passed. Come on. So it's it's hard. Okay. Anyway. Okay, next one. To next support security <laughs> security. Let's let's carry on. Support security groups in a custom ASP.NET app that uses MSAL and OpenID Connect middleware. You must do which of the following things. Set the OpenID Connect middleware to role claim type property to groups. Set the role claim type of the OpenID Connect middleware to security groups. Or set the apps manifest property group membership claims to security groups and then configure the OpenID Connect middleware with a role claim type property to groups. So the first two require code changes, and the last one is requiring configuration changes. And a code change. And Both. a code change. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the interesting one, too. Is um, So in your manifest, you had emit as roles, roles. right? Yep. In your, in your app manifest. Mm -hmm. And that means that the claims come out in a claim name of roles, right? Exactly. Yep. And by default, 
that claim name is what ASP.NET Core uses mm-hmm. to put you into a role. That's why your role showed up as you know schemas.microsoft.com or schemas.xmlsoap.org, blah, 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 slash role was because it got translated by default from the roles name to yep. uh to from the roles claim though. But that's because you had emit as roles on the manifest itself. Mm-hmm. So if we were to not have put emit as roles yep. in our in our optional claims. Now we have come uh, down as a group claim. Would have come down as groups. I'm feeling like we definitely would have to do that, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, of course, we're not going to get the group claim at all if we don't set that toggle on the manifest for group membership claims. So um, I'm going to have to say C. It is C. You're absolutely right. Now we didn't we didn't follow that exact. Uh, pattern because again we use roles rather than groups in our application but if you were to work directly with groups then you would have to do this uh, change in your open id connect middleware in microsoft web so um something to be aware of i guess but you were absolutely right so yeah if you if you wanted to use groups and you did not want to use that emit as roles uh option in the manifest yep you know if if your admin or whoever has already set it, for example, and you can't go back and change it, um, uh, we can change the uh, we can change which claim we use for roles for the yep. ASP.NET thing called our role. We can change mm-hmm. which claim to use with that uh, by setting that in our options. Um, in fact, we can even take a look at that here in just a moment. Indeed, indeed. Back at you, my so, friend. So uh, there were lots of complaints on my side about using groups, and I have more of them. Um, there, there are a few other issues with groups. The biggest one in my mind, outside of the fact is, of course, if you work at a large org, you're going to have a, you're going to be a member of a ton of groups. If you're a member of more than 200 groups, you're going to get the overage claim that Christos mentioned, where you've got to make a rest call to get all the groups. So now I have sent my user to go and sign in they've signed in and now i have to wait on a graph call to go get my group membership and the reason is if i'm a member of 5,000 groups at work those groups aren't app specific and that's the key (laughs) is when you don't have an app specific group meaning uh, the group sort of infrastructure is not tied to a specific application when that happens Every application is going to get your full group membership, security group membership, or your full membership to all groups. And that ends up making your token super large because you're going to include all this extra graph data. So here comes a big, you know, here comes a big token payload. Um, And it also means that if you go over 200, you're going to end up having to make an extra rest call on every single sign-up. Personally, I don't want to make an extra sign in on every single excuse me on every single uh, every single sign in so you know groups are great for for sort of uh, migrating older apps um, there may be cases where uh, you know you've got something old that used an on-prem ad group or similar LDAP group whatever and you need to migrate that app but the other thing Christos mentioned was you know that group is going to come over as a quid the group name so being able to directly pick up your code and move it over uh, becomes a little bit more difficult. Now, <laughs> excuse me again, sorry. There is a way to also emit 
the group name in those optional claims. However, that only applies to on-premises groups. <laughs> so that so in a migration scenario, that would be valid because you've got an on-prem AD group called product catalog users. That group has presumably been synced to Azure AD via Azure AD Connect, which is how you get all your users into Azure AD. Because that is a synchronized group, you can get the name of it sent down in the group membership claims. Mm-hmm. But any cloud-based group is not. The cloud groups or groups that you create in cloud are not going to. Uh, they're not going to. Uh, they're not going to come down with a name. So even if you if you don't hit overages, you still have to do a graph call just to get the the group name. Correct, or many graph calls to get many groups names. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, that's a good point. Yes. Yeah. So um, there are also some other caveats to using groups, particularly group membership evaluation. Group membership evaluation in Azure AD, especially for uh, uh, for the purposes of roles, can be a little bit uh, can be a little bit uh, we'll say difficult and or confusing. Um, transitive membership generally has to be checked, meaning if I'm a member of group one, group one is a member of group two and group two is a member of group three. My membership in group one, by virtue of these other two transitive links, uh, we have to traverse that tree. Now, there are improvements going into graph to make that traversal easier. Um, and I believe some recent additions make those come back in the group membership claims. but that is a very, very new addition, like last six mm-hmm. months kind of a thing. Uh, and again, you still have been a case where you you may end up having to make graph calls to check somebody's membership all the way down the line of, of all the stuff that you have to do. So generally speaking, groups have some uh, challenges. Group challenges. Perfect. That's exactly the word <laughs> I was looking for. Now, so let's look at a couple things that we uh, let's look at a couple ways we can avoid these. Right. Uh, so the first one is about let's express some app roles. Let's define these app roles in a thing that's tied to the application. So this way, I only get those roles if I am signing into that specific application. So that's the first thing we can do. We're going to take a look at how to do that here in a minute. So when it comes to these app roles, we define an app role, and the app role only lives on the specific application for which it was defined. So if I sign into app one, and that's product catalog. My product catalog users group or um, role membership goes along with it. But if I sign into app two, app two is going to have it may have its own roles or it may not have any roles. But the fact that I was in a role in app one does not mean that I'm in a role in app two. Big mm-hmm. difference, right? Yep. Um, administrators assign users the same way we looked at a little bit ago. We can assign users to uh, to app roles. Um, which really all that means is that means the roles claim now comes along with the user and it will include roles in it. Whatever roles the member is a user of, they will be included in that claim. Um, admins can add users, users, and certain users can, uh, certain users who are administrator, uh, have like app administrator access can add users too. However, um, if you want to add a group of users to an app role, so not individual users, you have to have a license. You can do the other one for free. You can add users all day for free to a role. You cannot add a group to a role without paying money. So just something to something to think about. Um, what we have seen a lot of customers do 
is they take a, they create a group and that group may be called product catalog users, <laughs> product catalog user group. And they may assign that group to the product catalog users role that they've defined for that specific application. So now those users are members of the product catalog users role by virtue of their group membership. But now the group membership can be managed independently of the names and the values of the app roles themselves. And the fact that I'm a product catalog user admin doesn't have to travel with me to every other app. Because there, there could be security implications that come from sending security groups to literally every, to, to every application in your org, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that I'm a member of super secret tinted project that nobody's ever heard of before group, uh, do I really want every app in my org being able to see that I'm a member of that group? Mm, I don't know. Maybe that's uh, yeah, maybe that's something that I don't want to do. So with the roles, uh, we can be a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more precise in, in what we're doing, and we can abstract it away a little bit from the sort of physical membership of, uh, of various users. Um, so what we do is we will define these app roles on the app. This slide is old. We don't have to go do JSON manifest manipulation anymore, which is awesome. So we're going to go define a couple roles for our app. We are then going to define or going to go add some users and groups to our roles. Uh, and then uh, we did at, we talked about app roles last week. So an app role for applications is a little bit different from a user from a user app role. So when we add the user to an app role, uh, kind of like the interface you see up here on the screen, we're going to pick a user or a group, and we're going to pick which role they want to be in. And a, a user can be a member of multiple groups, or so, sorry, multiple roles for an app. Yep. So Christos could be a member of the product catalog users role, which just allows generic access, but he could also be a product catalog administrator or a product catalog super admin and all three of those memberships would come along with him when he signs in. So just the fact that he's a member of that role doesn't mean he it's exclusive of other roles. A user can be a member of many roles at one time. And since it's an array, uh, you get all three of them at a single time. Uh, also, because we are sending these over in the roles claim, ASP.NET will just pick that off or pick that up Love magically. It. So we don't have to change our mapping types. We don't have to set our role claim type. Uh, we don't have to do any of that because it's going to come over as roles. And ASP.NET's just going to pick it up and it's just going to work like magic, right? Mm -hmm. um, in our code config, we're going to simplify it a little bit. We're not really going to change it that much. But the big thing we get to do is we get to start using English words again, like product viewers and product administrators, as opposed to remembering magic GUIDs. Uh, so we'll be able to use those roles because the role value is what's going to come over in our token. And then uh, same with the authorized tag on specific methods. So if you want to use like if I've got a if I've got a, my refrigerator turned on and a light turned off, I don't know how that happened, but it doesn't bode well for the rest of my evening. Um, product administrators, we could use that on a this is on a uh, on the create method. So maybe I you know maybe product users can view and product administrators can uh, can edit or create. Right. So. The same way that we used user.is enroll or we use the authorized roles tag uh, with Christos' Christos's example with those GUIDs for groups, we could use those with app roles themselves as well. So let's go take a look at a demo. We're going to go modify our app reg to add, some, uh, to add some app roles. We'll assign some users to it. We're going to update our code. And then uh, let's go take a look and see if I get the new, get the new stuff that I need, right? Nice. Okay, so let's go back to our app. 
Now, earlier we were in enterprise applications. We don't actually need to be in enterprise. Well, we will need to be in enterprise applications here in a moment. So I'm just going to leave this up. Separately, I'm going to open up another window for, uh, for the Azure AD Admin Center. And let's go to our app registration itself. So in Azure AD, we have our app registration. Let's go find Learn Live, RBAC. Oops, RBAC with a big C. And historically, we had to go to the manifest and we had to go to gwidgen.com or one of these GWID uh, generators. You can still do this. And one of the cool things is you can do all this programmatically. So you can do this through Graph API. If you're registering a new app and you want to define app roles, you can totally do that uh, through API. Um, you would put them into this app roles uh, array here. Now, because nobody likes to A, generate their own GWIDs or B, type JSON. Um, the only thing that would make this worse is if this was a YAML based uh, file. We have Having a lot of bunches today. <laughs> well, I still don't feel very good. You know, it's like, well, I guess I'll take it out on YAML today. <laughs> I don't think anybody would be upset about that, though. Common so in our application, in our application, uh, in our app registration, we have this app roles blade here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, app roles lets us define some app roles. So let's go create an app role, and I'll call this uh, product admin administrators. We have uh, allowed member type. Now, we looked at these a little bit last week for application uh, permissions, so yep. uh, delegated scopes versus application permissions. Um, it's essentially the same thing, only this time we're going to put users in it instead of applications. Now, you mm -hmm. can do both, too, but generally speaking, our user roles are going to be a little bit different from our application roles. So, so we're going to allow users to groups. The value is super important. The value is the thing that your code is going to receive. Yep. So this has to match. So product administrators or administrators, this value that we have here in the value field, this is the claim name that's going to come over. And so this is what our authorization is going to key off of. And this is like the the the, uh, uh, the authorized tag and the user is enrolled tag. All that has to be done here. So yep. whatever this value is, that's the value that comes over. The display name is just what you're going to see in the UI. Um, or what your administrator is going to see in the UI, and then you have to give it a description. So product administrators and administer product. Wow. And you can use emoji. So... <laughs> In fact, you can. In fact, you can even use emoji as the name or as the value of your uh, as the value of your app role. So, if the only uh, people you want to allow in have an app role of or have a role membership of you know uh, sobbing emoji, then that's what you'll get over in your role claim, which I think is pretty fascinating. So, we created our product administrators role. It has a value of product administrators. That's what we're going to get in our. And, and in fact, whether or not this should be plural, this should probably just be product administrator because mm -hmm. an individual user will be a member and be an administrator, not an administrators. So I'm going to take that one out and we'll apply that. So again, this is the values. This is the important one. So let's come back over to enterprise apps. Of course, enterprise apps you get to from, uh, from your Azure Active Directory main menu. You can get to enterprise applications. So let's go into our Learn Live. You can get there from the overview as well of the app registration. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's right. There's a new link to get there. Yeah. Um, 
And in our users and groups, this is where we can set uh, group membership. Now, roles and administrators, this is Azure AD roles and administrators. <laughs> Not to be confused. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the so this is this is going to be a little bit different. So let's go into users and groups. I'm going to remove existing access. So none of these assignments are going to exist. And we're going to add some users. Now it's telling me groups are not available for assignment due to your Active Directory plan level. And that's because this directory you're looking at is the same free one that you'll get if you go and just create one off the internet. If you're using the M365 developer tenant, which I think we've included some links to below, if you're using an M365 developer tenant, you get Azure Active Directory Premium, like P2 and E5 and a bunch of other SKUs of cool stuff. Um, which will include uh, being able to assign groups. So yours likely won't say this uh, unless you're using one that is uh, that you've set up on your own. All it means for me is that the only thing I can do is set up users. So I'm going to do my user here, hit select. Now there's only one role defined, and so product administrators being the role that's defined, I don't get a list to choose from, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm going to so because of that there's only one role, and that's the one role that I'm going to have. So I'm going to go ahead and assign that user role to me. So now me, my user, when I go and sign in, I should have this role, right? Yep. Now, one other thing we want to do while we're in here, I don't want all of those group claims to come over, mm -hmm. right? Because there are a lot of them. So, you know, I had to make the manifest changes to uh, include, you know, emit as roles and all this sort of stuff to send this data over. And I also have it set to uh, group membership claims security group. I don't want yep. those anymore. Now, my user, I'm in a ton of groups, and so my group comes back as an overage claim anyway, so i got to go fetch extra ones. Yeah. The thing about the overage claim is, and what's really interesting about the overage is, so Chris just mentioned 150 in a SAML token and 200 in a JWT, right? Mm -hmm. When you're using implicit, the implicit flow where that's coming back in the browser, and hybrid flow where you are receiving an ID token implicitly just happens to also be the implicit flow. Uh -huh. You will, you will actually get a claim called has groups true and you will be expected to go look at the groups. Nice. I believe six is the cutoff on implicit tokens because they come back in the query string sometimes, yep. especially in JavaScript apps. And because they come back in the query string, query strings can't be that big. And so token bloat has to be really aggressively managed. Yep. And because of that, if you turn that on and try to go get a token implicitly, there's a high probability that your token's going to include has groups true, and you're going to have to go make that call again to go get it. Roles, no big deal. Groups, it's, it's always in the token, man. Groups, you're going to have to go deal with. Yeah. So we're going to set our group membership claims back to null because I don't want to get them. And we're also going to go delete our optional claims because I also would like to not receive those. Mm -hmm. So optional claims, we will leave, uh, does this need to be null or empty? I actually am not entirely sure. So we're going to make it null, and if it blows up, we'll know why. So save this one. Uh, it and works. now, oh, good, yeah, because it would have kicked it out. So it does do some validation. So let's go look at our code. Now I'm going to switch branches to a little bit of code from earlier, which is probably going to say, oh, you need to go and change blah, blah, blah. So we're going to, we call this role, we call this uh, proper roles. Proper. Now, this is the re this repo, of course, is available uh, on the uh, on GitHub. So we we will we publish this repo. We'll publish a README about every uh, publish a README for this code. But the brand the three branches are in here. So we've got the branch that Christos worked on, and then the proper roles one that we're going to take a look at here. Now, 
our startup code has not changed at all. Nothing here has to change because we're getting, because Christo's got his group claims as roles and because I'm using actual roles because of that, the role, we don't have to do any sort of claims mappings. If, however, you're using an older version and you want to know how to do it, we do a services.configure. You can do Microsoft identity options, or you can also do OpenID connect options. And in the options, you will have token validation parameters. One of those token validation parameters is called role claim type. And mm -hmm. by setting this to, you know, groups or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, whatever the name is of the claim that you're getting, this could be really important if you're coming from an identity or from an app reg or something that's already been configured, or if you're, you know, dealing with multiple identity systems or whatever. Um, this is where you would set this to say groups. If you wanted it to be in the groups claim, if you wanted it to be in the roles claim, you could just set roles or you could just delete that line entirely because it does it by default. Nice. Just as a note, as an extra note. Um, so the other thing we want to do, uh, Christo showed that in the, uh, the menu thing at the top, like the nav bar thing at the top, um, we had a new thing, uh, that showed, um, we had a new item called products that pops up there, right? Mm -hmm. If you are a member of this specific role. So what we've done is instead of user.isenrole GUID, we now have user.isenrole product viewers or product administrators. Now we didn't create the product viewers role, so, uh, whatever, but we do have a product administrators role. And you know what? I thought it was not pluralized. It turns out that it is. I was going to say if he's going to remember or not, but you got that one. Nice. Staying on top of your game. I like it. So my role name was product administrator, right? Wasn't that what we said? It said, okay. So I think that's the right it. one though, right? I mean, it's a role assignment to a user and multiple users can be logged that role. So it's like a pluralization of columns in SQL. Remember? It needs to be. I mean, I don't know. We could probably debate this. What do you think? In fact, if, well, if we can, let's do a poll or let's do a quick question. I'm curious to know what you think, because if I was to go into a store and they said, what's your role here? What I say, I am an administrator. They'd look at me like something was wrong with me, right? I'd I'm say, your oh, managers. I'm your, I'm your <laughs> managers. I'm your bosses. All eight of them. <laughs> yeah. So let us know what you think. But uh, in the meantime, I, I think it's a uh, singularity here, not pluralization. Semantics, whatever. But this one is, but so the code that you'll have is plural, but whatever. Um, so what we're going to do, I'm just going to take the other one out just for the moment, uh, just because we didn't define that one and we don't really need it. Uh, so user is in role product administrator. I should be in that role. So when we run this app, we should be good to go now because, okay, we've already got our stuff in there. Good, good, good. So yep, let's You have go. one more change to do. One more change to do. What's the other change? Oh, in the create. In your controller. Yeah. Uh, in my controller for. Product. Products controller. Ah, there yep. we go. So we have a products controller now too. And the products controller uh, is expecting one of two roles, product viewers or product administrator. Mm -hmm. And so I will not be able to get to this entire controller if I'm not a member of one of these roles. Now, if you think I'm coming from an on-prem AD, I'm coming from like a Windows AD where I used IS with uh, Windows integrated auth, your code would look considerably similar to this. Only it wouldn't be product viewers or product administrator. It'd be whatever the name was in your on-prem AD. Mm -hmm. But the road to get from there to here, this is not a code change. 
like if your code's already if your code already has groups in there, uh, we're not talking about a code change here. We're talking yep. about um, a big config change for sure. And obviously, you've got to wire up your code to use uh, uh, to use Azure AD and Identity.Web and whatever. Mm-hmm. But your sort of core logic code, your view, your uh, controller code, your you know your mapping code, uh, really shouldn't have to change at all. Just your startup. Okay, you ready to run it? Born ready. Let's do this. Okay. What's so that error, error in your terminal there? I don't know. My last, the last thing I ran must have an uh, must have an error in it. So uh, I wonder if I'm I wonder if I'm still running this somewhere else. <laughs> Certainly, I am still running on the same port. There you glad. go. See? I'm glad that I mentioned that. Um, okay. So let's do a let's do a .NET run here. Get our app up and running. I guess it doesn't matter. The same terminal goes to the same places. Um, so here is our here's my window. Let's go to localhost. Why your vertical tabs? Huh? Oh, this is a it's a different browser. Uh, um, so let's sign out, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go back to localhost just so we can kind of walk through what's going to happen to make sure everything is working the way we expect it. Now I get oh, signed in. Nice. And now. Earlier, you noticed my earlier page had a bunch of group memberships because that was my old one. Mm -hmm. We look at the new one. Now, my claims are my claim list is much shorter. (laughs) I don't have my groups in there anymore, so I'm not leaking a bunch of data about my groups. My token size has gotten much smaller, which is great. And we have our role membership right here, product administrator. Mm -hmm. And because of that, products has shown up. Nice. Right? So because, I, because I'm a member of this role, the products button shows up the way we would expect it to, and I can get to the products controller, which I couldn't get to otherwise because of the administrator, uh, because of the product administrator authorized tag that we have at the top of that controller. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Nice. So, um, yeah, so I was, uh, I'm fairly pleased with that. This is what we've had with, uh, with Azure AD roles for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we didn't take a look at, and one thing that I thought would be kind of neat to show would be um, what does it look like if I am not a member of the role? Because remember, we made that change earlier, right? The yep. to require membership. So let's go look. So I'm going to take myself out of the role. Yep. <laughs> I could also use a different user, but I don't feel like signing in 78,000 times. If we go look at our properties. User assignment required is still a thing, right? Yep. So it's still required, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so user assignment is still required. Let's go to our overview. If we look at users and groups, uh, we should have no assignments found, which is great. Uh, so let's go here. Let's .NET run this thing again. I get my browser open. I'm going to have to clear out my cookies because I think I've got, probably have some old stuff in here. So let's clear this out. So I've cleared out my cookies. Let's log in. Uh, let's see. You know what? I'll just log out. That's fine. Okay. So let's go sign in again. I got to go sign in. I got to type in my password. I have to stick my finger on my phone. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is, right? So which phone? I'm losing. Uh, I'm losing control with all your phones these days. <laughs> which one do you have now? So- so, um, uh, so my, so, uh, uh, and I'm still using the fold. I've kept it for quite a while. Um, 
Okay. So now, you know, so I went through multi-factor, I signed in, I did everything the way I was supposed to, right? My, yeah. obviously my account is still valid, but we get a really specific error this time, which is a STS 5105. The signed in user, me, is not assigned to a role for the application, blah, 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 blah. Learn live RBAC, which is the app yep. that we created. So the application itself, I never make it back to the app. The app is just like, like the app is sitting there waiting saying, well, I sent him to authenticate. I don't know why he's not back. Uh And this is fantastic when you're dealing with old code, legacy code, code you can't change, vendor code, et cetera, and you want to protect it with Azure AD. As soon as you flip the user assignment required switch, um, everything's blocked. You've got to be in in some kind of role in order to get into it. Um, And so this can be extremely helpful for, uh, for keeping people out of apps where they do not belong, uh, especially during migrations and the like. Okay, so let's get back. Now we're going to jump back into our next knowledge check. Dun, dun, dun. Question number five. Which of the following statements best describes our back? Mm-hmm. Is it? Role-based access control is when users are assigned to roles instead of being directly assigned access or permissions in an app. Or B, request-based access control is when a user requests access to a group and a group owner approves the request. It would have been tricky if if there's a resource-based access control. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, that would have been. Close, like oh, that that can be confusing now because my app is a resource and I need to access it. But based on what we've been discussing about roles, 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 then it has to be a because of the fact that RBAC, at least in this context, is role-based access control. I think so. I think we've said the word role far more than we've said the word request. <laughs> um, now, what we could do now, what we what we could do is we could change this question up. Ooh, yes. Be. So which of the following statements poorly describes not RBAC? <laughs> Double negative? Yeah, poorly, like, uh, what do you think about well, that? I think that'd be yeah, yeah. for the next yeah. round, when you join us next time, uh, maybe in six months, then we'll have more tricky questions for you. So we do have a question. Have we tried rewriting it in Rust? Uh, the last exercise. Um, no, I've not tried rewriting that in Rust. In fact, I have not written any web apps in Rust. So you're right. Uh, the web apps the only Rust? thing I don't know. I don't. I'm sure there's a web framework for Rust. I just don't know what it is. The only thing I've ever done in Rust was make a few changes to uh, LS Deluxe, which is probably my favorite uh, LS for uh, for Linux. The only thing I did was make a few changes there. I'm looking so, for web frameworks for Rust. Apparently, that it's a Rocket RS. There's a there's a framework for it. Oh, cool. I am I am uh, learning Rust, so I have no idea how to even write a single line of Rust. And there's a fantastic MS Learn module. There you go. Oh man, that was a segue, right? Uh, to the next level, is <laughs> if you want to learn about Rust, we also have a fantastic Learn module to go and do it yourself. But Maybe uh, on the 45 show, we can tackle the uh, Rust question and write some poorly, poor quality Rust just to do authentication. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would fit. Um, so, so yeah, so, hey, that's, 
we don't have an official M cell for us, right? So that's the important bit. So if you are going to integrate with Azure AD, you need to use an Open AD Connect OAuth2 compliant library, anyone you like, and point it to the uh, Azure AD or B2C endpoints. Sorry. Yeah. For yeah, I mean that's going to be the key is because we we don't ship any libraries. Um, yeah, something OAuth2 yes. and uh, Open ID compliant. I have seen uh, there's an Open ID Connect RS. Uh, that seems to be one of the common ones uh, that gets that gets brought up. Um, but yeah, we should take a look too and see. Uh, and and that, that is on the one hand, like we have lots of libraries for lots of languages, but of course we can't build a library for every language. And to that end, um, that's where the standards come in. You know, there might be some. Yeah. yeah. And that's everything true. we showed you today, everything we showed you would happen if you're using generic OAuth libraries or open yep. ID libraries. You'll still get a roles claim. You'll still get a groups claim if you request it. Um, you know, actually enforcing the authorization is still up to you and your framework. So we're leaning mm -hmm. on ASP.NET authorization to say, oh, you're not in this role, so you can't access this controller. But in terms of configuration and keeping users out or putting users in roles, defining the roles, doing all that sort of stuff, all that's still available regardless of the application you're building and the application type you're building. Um, I will say, I guess there's one thing when it comes to authorization is that desktop apps, mobile apps, client apps that are running in a browser, uh, implementing roles for those kinds of applications can get a little bit dicey because while the, you may be a member of a role, if it's a desktop app, for example, I'm still shipping everything with that app. Right. Uh -huh. So like the fact yeah. that I'm in a role <laughs> doesn't prevent me from decompiling the app or looking through the app's resources to go find extra bits about them. So you yeah. wouldn't want to use roles to authorize in a client application, but you would absolutely be able to use roles to authorize within, say, an API that your client application may be calling. So, yeah. you know, something to consider. And that's the thing. When you define an app role and you are a member of an app role, so I'm a member of product administrators right now. If we had created a, an API for that, mm -hmm. we could request a token that has nothing to do with the roles, but my access token to call that API from another client would include that role in it. So if we created the product administrator's API or whatever, mm -hmm. um, my role membership will travel and access tokens for that specific resource. Meaning if we built a web front end or a mobile client for our product catalog and requested an access token for it, I'd still get that role in there. So but you, just, you need to configure those roles in both the API and the front end for them to match and propagate, right? If you want them to be the same, if you want yeah. your ID token to include the roles, because those are two separate applications, your web app, your single page app, your mobile app, whatever. Yep. Because the roles are app specific, those app roles will only come in the either the ID token or the access token for that specific resource. Right. So if you want to have the same ones in both, you'd have to create them in both. I would argue... I would argue there are, I have not come across many apps that customers are building where they want the same apps in both, unless mm -hmm. it was a, like a really explicit BFF kind of scenario, back end for front end, where the API and the front end are completely and totally dependent upon each other. Like you're not going to use this API for anything except for servicing this front end. 
Um, I could see sharing roles there, but in some cases too, you could also just share app IDs right. and use the same app ID for both. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say think about how you want to, how you want to control access in the app. What do you want to use roles for controlling access, showing and hiding certain things, you know, whatever, like I can always go and type whack products in the bar and still yep. get to that page. But ASP.NET authorization is going to block me. Yeah, don't do that. I've, I've done in the past. <laughs> obscure, <laughs> obscure, security by obscurity, by hiding away <laughs> the, the navigation. It doesn't mean that people can, you know, go around poking into your app to see if there's like a forward slash admin or forward slash products or something like that to get information. In fact, many attacks have been launched by just doing probing into the URL. It's easier to do that. And there are tools out there that will go and look for well-known directories or navigation paths within your application just to catch oh, yeah. you off, uh, off guard. So be aware. Don't be me. Oh, it was early <laughs> on in my career. I, I fixed it now. Uh, there's, a, there's a question. Is there a cost attached to active users per app? No. Azure AD Free is always free for 500,000 objects. So if you have 500,000 objects in your directory, uh, you don't that's pay a, for it. That's a good problem to have once you have 500,000, right? I mean, that's that's a big directory. In the case of Azure ADB to C, Azure mm-hmm. ADB to C, you pay after your 50,000 uh, monthly, monthly users. users. Yeah. However, app roles uh, and groups are not a thing in B to C, thus unrelated. So... Uh, B2C, you'll pay for 50, anything more than 50,000 users. Your first 50,000 active users per month are free. So you can have 20 million people in your directory. You don't pay for that. Mm-hmm. You only pay when user 50,001 signs, signs in, in in any given month. Yep. yep. And those 50,000 um, have unlimited signings, so they can be signing in every two seconds if they want to. Um as long as you don't exceed the 50,000. And then there's like a, an incremental scale of how much you pay. Again, good uh, and, to have. Yeah, in Azure AD proper, like the normal work-based Azure AD, there's no per app or uh, there's no sort of um, per user per app type billing. It's all, like if you want the premium features that come with Azure AD premium, like conditional access and stuff like that, you pay a per month for each one of those users, but they could sign into one app or into 500,000 apps and that cost doesn't change and that's an optional cost too. So you can go get started with it today and not pay anything. So if you want to go and play around, Microsoft 365 developer program allows you to get a full-blown Azure Active Directory for you to use. If your company has Azure or Office, then there's a very good chance you have a, no, no, there's a very good chance. You actually have Azure Active Directory (laughs) which is part of that license. So if you have an E5, then you have an E5 um, attached Azure Active Directory with the same capabilities. So go and look at that. But it's always easier to work with the developer tenant because you don't have limitations on how you uh, get uh, admin consent in certain things. But, um, you know, uh, go and follow along what we've done. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this five-module journey fantastic and by the way it's all available on demand so if you go to ak.ms forward slash learn live that will take you to our channel where you can go and find all these episodes and more 
and JP, you, you take this one. You say it so well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've done our last five sessions here on uh, on Learn Live, um, it, which is available on a, on a myriad of lots of different channels. You can always find us at aka.ms forward slash Learn Live. Um, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of things available in Microsoft Learn as a whole. So Chris just mentioned he's learning Rust uh, in um, on Learn Live. It's not just Identity. It's not just Azure. It's not just Office. It's all sorts of different things that the modern software engineer or IT pro or student needs to know or needs to learn about our clouds and our products and our services and the kind of stuff that you might want to run on them. So yep. there are all sorts of different topics out there on Learn, um, and they all follow a similar thing where you've got lots of hands-on stuff, lots of code samples, lots of things to try uh, so that you can really sort of learn how to do stuff. And certain ones of them, like the one that we just did for the past, uh, we did a five-week series over what, like eight weeks or something? It took <laughs> us because of holidays and vacations. But um, we aren't the only ones doing this. So there's going to be another one coming up shortly after this one uh, in the and, and where you've got live instructors, people who are working on product, people who are working with customers, et cetera, who are going to come in and walk you through one of those uh, one of those learn learn module series and go through uh, all of the weird bits and caveats and uh, maybe get knowledge checks wrong like I apparently seem to do multiple times um, and give you some color and some context as to why things are the way they are and give you a chance to ask questions and interact. So uh, we really hope that you've enjoyed it. Be sure to add AK8NMS WAC Learn Live uh, to your browser so you can get back in and watch and uh, and watch other stuff that's going to be coming up. Um, Christos and I specifically, if for some strange reason you've really enjoyed your time with us specifically, we do this twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays uh, on the 425 show, which you can find us at aka.ms forward slash 425 show uh, or at 425show.dev, 425show.dev, um, where we do a show on Twitch all about Microsoft identity and cloud uh, and all the, the various and bits and that and Rust. And Rust. Line up. Apparently, and we're going to be doing Rust soon. So we have Line that to up. look forward to. Right. So, thanks, everyone. Anyway, really, thanks, everybody, really for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, any and questions be, uh, or anything, drop them in the chat. And other than that, I think we are... Uh, well, I wanted to say a big thanks to uh, Rob and Glenn, uh, our mm -hmm. awesome moderators and organizers of this, because they've been working tirelessly. And, yeah, true. Sorry. So all of them for having us and for... Uh, <laughs> for bearing with us while we did this, uh, this delivery. And uh, we'll probably come back with uh, more stuff, like uh, either this one again uh, with updated content or something uh, similar around identity. So stay tuned. Thanks, everybody.